0: in Christ Church, and welcome to Old Brooklyn. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. For those of you just tuning in for the first time, my name is Logan. I am uh, the assistant director out here for the Old Brooklyn campus, and this morning, I have the privilege of bringing God's word to you. But before we get started, let's go ahead and dive into prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you teach us in your word about what your heart is like. What is most important to you? I pray that we would be capable of hearing this truth this morning, and I pray that we could respond to it in a way that is healthy for our souls. Would you please help us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. About 10 or 15 years ago, my brother and I got into a game that was simply called Pirates. Uh, In it, it was a tabletop game, you'd play with little pieces across any flat surface you could find, be it the floor or an actual table. But in it, a group of people would get together, they'd bring their own fleets, and they would go exploring on different adventures. You could explore wild islands and see what treasures lay there. You could fight other people's fleets and see who had the best ships. And you also had to cross treacherous terrains, whirlpools, fog banks, you name it. Looking back after a couple of years, I'm fairly certain we didn't read the rules properly, but that's a different story for a different time, and we enjoyed it still, nonetheless. One of the unique things about this game, though, was its genre. It's what was called a constructible strategy game. Each individual ship had to be pieced together before you could actually play with it. And you would get little packs that came, they were about the size of credit cards and made of some kind of plastic. I'm not sure what it was, but um, you were able to get those pieces, punch them out, put them together, and then enjoy play. Part of that was fun. But another part of that was, how shall I say, fun. If you've ever worked with anything that's small, little, and fragile, you know the frustrations that can bring. Every once in a while you'd punch out a piece and, well, you might snap it a little bit. of it. And every time you tried to insert one of the masts into the deck, well, sometimes there was a little bit of glue necessary to uh, double the weight of the ship after we were done with it. They were fragile little pieces of plastic. And you had to have a kind of strength that was able to get them assembled without completely destroying them. It was a delicate balance. Using too much strength didn't work because you couldn't complete the ship, and using too much strength resulted in you doubling the weight using a lot of glue and ruining the look of the ship. And this idea of having enough strength but not too much strength is what we would call controlled strength or is the best definition that we have for gentle. Every time we hear the word gentleness, we might have a preconceived notion of uh, some kind of weakness. We think, oh, that person's gentle. You don't want to roughhouse them too much uh, because they'll get hurt. Gentleness is not necessarily a weakness. It's not the image we need to have. There is a strength that is behind gentleness um, that allows people to be gentle. And yet at the same time, it's not an uncontrolled strength. If you've ever watched a uh, martial arts fight, and I'm not talking about the MMA where they do go full out on each other, but a sparring match, they have the speed and the ability to score points on their opponents without putting them on the floor. It's meant to be a gentleman's game where you have enough strength to get through and score a point without putting them on the ground. There is a gentleness that is involved. And gentleness Is not uncontrolled strength, and it is not weakness. It is a controlled strength. We're going to read a psalm today that has an idea about gentleness, and I want to give you a little bit of a context for it. At this point in his life, David has gone through one of the most treacherous parts of his journey. His previous boss, the king Saul, had tried to murder him on several occasions. Not exactly what you want from an employer. You probably want to get out. The Philistines, the notorious national enemy of God's chosen people, had repeatedly attacked and harassed David's people. Jonathan, David's one true friend who took him seriously, died in battle defending his dad. Through many obstacles, David ascended to the throne because of a divine promise given to him by God. And now, after an unknown amount of time, David has received deliverance from God from all his surrounding enemies. He's finally at peace for a moment. When when David thought about this part of his life, he recognized God's divine favor toward him and recorded what experiencing the divine character was like. And as David honed in, to one incredible quality of God, he realized and accounted for the guiding principles of his life. The gentleness of God. Listen to what David writes in Psalm 18.35. You have given to me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand supported me, and your gentleness has made me great. Today, I wanna look at a couple of ideas, a couple of thoughts about this passage by means of exploring three questions. First, we're going to ask, why is it necessary to understand the gentleness of God? Secondly, what does it look like to experience the gentleness of God in our lives? And third, how does experiencing the gentleness of God in our lives affect us? So why is it necessary? What does it look like? And how does it affect our lives? First of all, it's necessary to understand the gentleness of God because Christ reveals to us that gentleness is at the core of God's character. We're going to explore this idea in full in a couple of weeks, so you'll have to stay tuned. But I want to give a brief overview now because it's going to help us understand the rest of the passage. Jesus once said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle in heart and lowly. And you will find rest for your souls. Gentleness means that Christ doesn't get riled up easily. He isn't quick to point the finger of blame. He has a controlled strength about him. As one author put it, he is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is open arms. And when Christ says that He's lowly, the idea behind this is that He is extremely accessible. It's very intimidating to approach the CEO of a company because they're probably a little bit more smarter than I am. But somebody who's just normal like I am, I can approach any day of the week. Christ isn't so far removed that it's impossible to ex- uh, to come before Him. Yes, He is infinite. Holiness, yes, he's infinite in glory, but he is lowly of heart as well. And the word heart in the Bible doesn't just mean the organ beating inside your chest, sometimes it does, but usually it means something very different. The heart usually means something about the inner person. If you took away all personality, you stripped away all skills and abilities that can distract people from what's going on inside, you're left with the qualities of the person there. Jesus says at his core, he is gentle and he is accessible. And because Jesus most clearly expresses the character of God to us, we can know that these qualities are also at the core of who God is. Dane Ortland, the author of Gentle and Lowly, writes the Jesus given to us in the Gospels is not simply one who loves, but one who is love, merciful affections stream from his innermost being, just as the rays do from the sun. These are not character traits he puts on to make a show. They are his internal core. He is gentle and he is lowly. Gentleness is not something that God has to work on. It is most natural to who God is. And why is it necessary to understand the gentleness of God? First, it's at the core of his character. Secondly, the gentleness of God guides us through life. Living as a Christian means that we have work to do. That's what the idea of the yoke is when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. There is something God wants to do with us. He wants us to partner with him in life, and he has a purpose for us that he wants to accomplish in life. God has something incredible that he wants to get accomplished, and he chooses to do that with us. And this idea fundamentally shapes how David sees his own life in light of God's behavior towards him. He understands that the gentleness of God doesn't replace his created purpose, but it enables him to live it out. Without the gentleness of God guiding our lives, we would run, metaphorically speaking, into rough paths. God treats us gently and it enables us to live the purpose he created us for. We know that the gentleness is at the core of God's character and the gentleness of God guides us through life. But what does it look like to experience the gentleness of God in our lives? David gives us two snapshots in this verse. There are many more we could pick up from the Psalms or the Bible as a whole, but for the sake of time, we're going to just stick with these two. David writes at the beginning of this psalm, you have given to me the shield of your salvation. And here's what David means by this. God exercises his gentleness through salvation. David was a warrior, a shield is a metaphor for what your best defense is. In David's mind, the best defense was God's salvation. And God exercises his gentleness through his saving work. This is an incredible thought about God. God's heart naturally gravitates towards the people we least expect, the people whose lives are broken. When we read the Gospels, we see Jesus, Jesus frequently spending time with these people. There was a lady in one of the Gospels who didn't have a name. Either her name was forgotten or intentionally left out, and she was simply called a sinner. No other title for 2,000 years, she has the title sin. Nobody expected her life to amount to much. And at this point, Jesus was sitting in a religious leader's house, eating supper with him. The religious leader was the person everyone looked to for guidance. They saw that his life was put together and that he had what it took to get through life. But it wasn't the religious leader who connected with Christ in a significant way. When the woman found out Jesus was there, she came into the house uninvited. And when she came in, she knelt at the feet of Christ. She cried tears and wiped Jesus' feet with her own hand. She humbled herself before Christ. And when the religious leader saw this, he was just rude. He said, if Jesus knew who this woman was, he would tell her to get the heck out. He would tell her to shoo and to get away. It wasn't the person who seemed to have their life together that was able to accept the gentleness of God. It was the person who acknowledged their life was broken beyond repair, who connected with Christ in a meaningful way. And by the way, Christ showed this woman gentleness beyond recognition. Although her title that she received was sinner, he said from now on for the rest of time, wherever the gospel is preached, her story is going to be spread throughout. She humbled herself before Christ and treated him in a beautiful way. And Christ treated her with gentleness. His life moved towards the broken, toward the absolutely. God's deepest desire is for us to seek him for mercy. Listen to what the author Ortland says. Jesus does not get flustered or frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and with need and emptiness. He does not get flustered. He does not get frustrated. That's the whole point. It's what he came to. To heal, he went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. God's heart naturally gravitates towards people with brokenness, and it's his desire for people who recognize they are broken to come receive mercy to him, from him day after day after day. And he doesn't do it begrudgingly. He does it with gentleness. If we are under the impression that God is annoyed with us when we come to him asking for forgiveness, then we have failed to grasp the gentleness of God. God is not impatient when he comes to him. So you finally decided to come, did you now? Took you long enough. God doesn't disdain us either. He doesn't treat us with sarcasm to say, Ugh, you again. God's desire is that we come to him for forgiveness day after day, and we are met with the gentleness of God in response. David also understood that God exercises his gentleness by acting on our behalf. After writing, you have given to me your shield of salvation, David writes, your right hand supported me. The idea of the right hand is just the hand of strength. A lot of people tend to be right hand dominant. If you're left hand, just understand this is a metaphor saying, God strengthens us. God supports us with his strength. God acts in gentleness by strengthening us. One of the psalms uh, right here says, you have supported me with your right hand, with your own strength. We said earlier that that living the Christian life requires engaging in the world, that God has something he wants to do through us and in us. It means that we have a purpose. But in living out our purpose, that requires strength. We don't innately have the strength we need to be able to live the life God has called us to live. And unlike most self-help books that you can find in a bookstore today, and unlike most movies we can find in Hollywood, we do not find this strength by looking into ourselves and by digging deeper. Usually it's just, hey, gotta dig deep, gotta go down, gotta get better, gotta get faster, gotta get stronger, whatever the case may be. David says we don't get our strength from ourselves. We lack the strength necessary to be able to do what God has called us to do. And unlike the rest of the self-help books, we do not get our strength from the people around us. As it turns out, the people around us also inherently lack the strength necessary to live the life that they're called to live. You can't rely on a broken piece of glass if you are a broken piece of glass. Everything's going to get shattered. David says, the strength we need comes from God, And he doesn't give it grudgingly, he treats us with gentleness and gives it freely from his own supply of strength. God also acts in gentleness by supporting us. One of the Psalms read, may he send you help from the sanctuary and give you support from Zion. If you can think about an army sitting on a battlefield and they're in dire straits, And then they receive reinforcements from a nearby ally. That's this idea. There's a supply that we lack that God alone has the ability to sustain us. We lack the support we need in resources sometimes. We lack the support we need in emotional health. We lack the strength we need in well-being. All these ways God can support us. The Apostle Paul once wrote, My God will supply every need of yours according to his own riches in the glory of Jesus Christ. Whatever our need is, God is able to meet it, and he does so with gentleness. God also acts in gentleness by restoring us. David once wrote, The Lord sustains him on his sickbed In his illness, you restore him to full health. There are times in life where we are depleted from circumstances, from problems at work, from issues in our family, and we are left high and dry. Sometimes we might just think we need to get more sleep to get back on track. We need to watch the new movie or TV show that came out, pick up a new hobby, get a new game, hang out with friends or whatever the case may be. Uh, But those things also leave us high and dry. The support, the restoration we need, God is able to give, and he does so by treating us with gentleness. God also acts in kindness, in gentleness, by delivering us. There are some circumstances that we get ourselves into that are difficult to get out of. Be it we say something we shouldn't have said, we do something we shouldn't have done, and we land in a circumstance we don't want to be. On the other hand, sometimes we experience circumstances that are beyond our control. We, If you have ever been in an accident, and it's not been your fault, that's not something you were in control of. That is something that simply happened to you, and now you live in the reality. God is able to deliver us from the circumstances we get ourselves into, and he's able to get us, to deliver us from the circumstances we find ourselves in. And he does so with gentleness. It's necessary to understand the gentleness of God and what it looks like to experience the gentleness of God in our lives. But now we have to ask the question, how does this affect How does experiencing the gentleness of God affect us? What does it do in my life? What result does it have? And David gives us this simple answer. Your gentleness made me great. The gentleness of God makes us great. And I don't want us to have a wrong conception of what the idea is. When we say, I want to be great, we have a couple of different things that can float through our head could be the top of the ladder socially, economically, uh, in your job, uh, in your relationships. could be just being excellent at something. The original Hebrew word has this idea of increasing. You start at one level, and you grow towards another level. And I want us to think about something that Christ said as we think about what true greatness is, what we truly need to increase. When his disciples were arguing about who was the greatest, Jesus sat them down and said, you understand what greatness is according to the world. Be above everyone else to get everyone else to tell you what to do. Jesus said, that's not what I want you to think. If you want to be great, you have to be the servant. Jesus radically shifts what the idea of greatness is according to the worldly standards, to the standards we hear on a normal basis. And I would ask that as we get ready to finish that we would listen to how God wants us to increase, how God's gentleness makes us truly great. God's gentleness helps us increase in grace. Grace and peace be multiplied to you. Grace is the quality of treating people better than what they deserve. No one has ever beat grace into somebody. You don't learn grace by being rude. You don't learn grace by forcing somebody to do it. We all know people who have treated people without grace. It leaves a sour taste in our mouths. It makes us uncomfortable when people are just rude to the people around them.
1: But I also hope
0: we know what it's like when people treat each other with grace. It cuts through the tensions that arise. It changes people because they least expect to be treated well. God's gentleness helps us grow in grace. But it also helps us grow and increase in peace. In the Bible, peace doesn't just mean the absence of tension. It means a full sense of wholeness. There are times where you've had an absence of tension for the moment, what we might call a ceasefire. But you've also had those moments where you absolutely enjoyed being in someone's presence. That second idea is this idea of wholeness. God's gentleness increases us in peace. There's an internal sense of well-being we have when God treats us with gentleness. And it changes how we interact with the people around us. God's gentleness helps us increase in mercy. Mercy is not a passive idea. of It has an active idea behind it. It is compassion that moves towards help. When we recognize how gentle God has treated us, with what gentleness he has given us, it makes us more responsive to want to treat the people around us with compassion. When we understand how God has treated us with his goodness, makes us want to treat people around us better. God's gentleness also helps us increase in love. This is not just an emotion we feel, this is a choice we make. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, that a person lay down his life for his friends. True love is a giving up of the self for someone else. All deep-rooted love is about sacrificing something about yourself, whether it be your pride for the moment, whether it be your um, desire for the moment, in order to serve someone else. There is very little motivation for us to sacrifice anything on our behalf for someone else, unless we understand how God has treated us with gentleness. If God has treated us with the gentleness of salvation, God has treated us gently by making us firm and acting well on our behalf, then might we be able to share a self-giving love with the people around us. And this is one very interesting idea as I was looking about how God increases us. God's gentleness helps us increase as a church. The author Luke recorded something about the church when it was first started. Walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. The church increased. The fear that Luke was talking about here, the fear of God, is not a terror of God, but a deep and reverent respect for who God is. That is a gentle idea. When we understand the gentleness of God, we have a healthy respect towards Him. And comfort is a very easy thing to connect to gentleness. That in itself has to be gentle. When we as a church walk in the fear of God, when we walk in the reverent respect of God, and we walk in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we experience the gentleness of Christ. As a church, we grow. What if the church was characterized by gentleness towards outsiders. When we look outside these streets, there are, I don't know, five, six, seven different streets that have houses lined. And there are people who sit at home on Sunday morning because, in one way or another, they have the idea that God's core characteristics are judgment and anger, that He is apathetic towards their needs. What if we could show them? What if we could help them experience that the true center of who God is is gentleness? What would it look like in our lives for us to treat the people around us with gentleness? Why is it necessary to understand the gentleness of God? Because gentleness is at the core of God's character. And because the gentleness of God of God guides us through life. What does it look like to experience the gentleness of God in our lives? God exercises his gentleness through salvation. He's not annoyed with us coming to him. It's his deepest desire for us to come to him for mercy day after day. God exercises his gentleness by acting on our behalf. He strengthens us. He supports us. He delivers us and he restores us. How does experiencing the gentleness of God affect us? The gentleness of God makes us great. It makes us increase in grace, in peace, in mercy, and in love. I do want to ask this morning, what are thoughts about Christ are, what our thoughts about God are, as long as we understand him to be distant or aggressive or angry, we will never truly be satisfied resting in him. We will never see him as approachable. We will never willingly give him our lives. But if we understand that the gentleness of God makes us great, then there is a trajectory for our lives to go on, where we will grow and increase in great things. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, how great is the love which you have given us, that we should be called your sons and your daughters. How great is this love which you demonstrate in such a gentle way, I pray that we could be persuaded by your gentleness this morning. I pray that we could be influenced to see that you don't treat us with a grudging attitude, with annoyance, or with disdain, but that you treat us with gentleness in every way. I pray that as we are persuaded by this, that you would make us increase in grace, in peace, in mercy, and in love. And I pray that as a church, we might be characterized by these qualities and that people would want to know you because of what you've done in our lives. Would you please help us experience your gentleness, I pray. It's in Jesus's name that I do pray.